Good morning. As we continue this series on the Word of God and on thriving with the Word of God, we come today to uh, the topic of authority, biblical authority. Um, authority's always been an issue, really, ever since the garden, ever since actually before the garden. But in our day and time, I think it's as big an issue as I've certainly ever been aware. Just think about some things with me, things that you're aware of. There's a nut job dictator who claims divinity in his family line, who sends missiles into the atmosphere and into the ocean while at the same time planning meetings to discuss not going nuclear. Or a, a regional power that has vowed to uh, wipe Israel off the map if they can, who is continuing plans for nuclear weaponry. Or uh, a little closer to home, a right-leaning U.S. president, some of whose policies and decisions accomplish good things, but at times acting like a bully and like a fool, such as retweeting when somebody calls him the king of Israel, retweeting that favorably. Meanwhile, left-leaning politicians propose making the U.S. pay for everyone's medical and college expenses. They want to pay every adult a living wage, whether or not they work. They give people the right to camp on public property, including downtown streets. Um, and we're not talking about people who pick up their tents and everything about them at 5 o'clock in the morning so that the streets look nice. Their tents are left out, and everything that they did during the night is still on the sidewalk. Some who want everyone to come to the U.S. and to do so freely without regard for borders providing pre free medical care and education, all to be paid for by taxing wealthy people more and reducing the spending of natural defense, national defense. Or you have a self-centered Christian husband who willfully ignores commands to love his life, wife like Christ did the church and give himself up for her, who instead arrogantly demands she dress and wear her hair the way he wants and criticizes and complains bitterly if his wishes are not fulfilled by his wife or by his children. Or a state highway department that sends a notice to its contractor saying that from now on, non-binary, gender-neutral language must be used in all contracts and discussion between contractors and the highway department. For example, when referring to another person, you are no longer to say he or she, but you are to say they, in case they do not identify as male or female. And from now on, manhole covers will be known as personhole covers. All of these have one thing in common. All of them are based on an appeal to authority. What a politician who wants increasing power does is because they're saying, then I will have the authority to accomplish what I want. What the nutjob dictator does is based upon his authority as, a, as divinity. Whether it's in the home or in a king's palace, the issue of authority is at the base of so many of the issues that we face today. But some people have made the mistake of thinking because authority has been mishandled, then authority is the problem. It's just not true. 
In fact, every one of us on earth, there is one authority that we are exposed to that is uh, the most important authority we'll ever have on earth, and that authority is the Word of God. That old uh, theological juggernaut, Wikipedia, says that biblical authority is this. Now, this is pretty good. I I think this is good. I think it works. Uh, It refers to the extent to which the commands and doctrines within the Old and New Testament scriptures are authoritative over human belief and conduct, as well as the extent to which their propositions are accurate in matters of history and science. I like that. I'll take that for biblical authority. We Many writers have said biblical authority more than anything is it's the belief that God has the right to command obedience and that he does so through the scriptures. That's biblical authority. Uh, Biblical authority is rooted in um, two particular realities. One reality that biblical authority is rooted in is the idea that God is ultimate authority kind of whether people like it or don't. The person who can say, let there be light, and there's light, they pretty much are, they don't have to get a popularity contest to decide whether they're authority. They are authority just by who they are. And and that's God. And that's the first reason that biblical authority is a meaningful concept. It's because ultimately all of us fundamentally one day meet him and answer to him. But The other reason is because the Bible, the Bible that you hold, is not a book of men's ideas about God that they decided to pass on. It's the Bible claims that what they wrote is actually directly from God, that it's actually God's words. Mark read last week from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, which said, All scripture is inspired by God, that it's profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or the person of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that word inspired, some of you have a ESV or an NIV translation, and you'll notice that in your Bibles it says that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for these things. That means, literally, it it came from God. It's the very words of God. It's um, something that has become more popular in latter years, over the last 30, 40 years, even even within the church, and even, I'm going to say, among included, some of the people who I've known who have held this position have actually been people who would claim to be um, they would claim to believe in inerrancy, or they would claim to believe in biblical authority, And yet, at a practical level, when they look at the Bible, they're saying there's truth in the Bible, that the Bible contains truth, but you kind of have to look behind the words or under the words to really get the message. In other words, the idea for these is that there are ideas, there are sort of philosophies that are inspired, and the words are an effort on God's part and man's part to convey that. That's directly antithetical to the idea of biblical authority based on inspiration. See, Peter, for example, one of the apostles who writes some of the scripture he has and is a, a source for 
some of the other scriptures, one of the eyewitnesses who shared some things that were inscripturated by others. He says, no prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. He says, no prophecy is made by an act of human will. And what he means is, as an eyewitness of Christ, as someone who knew Christ, he's saying, God didn't inspire me. He didn't like give me some special inspiration and then say, go ahead and communicate it however you want to. He inspired the very words that Peter wrote. It's not inspired men, and it's not even inspired ideas. It's actually inspired words. That is referred to as verbal plenary inspiration, kind of a fancy $3 term that just means that the 31,000 verses of Scripture in the original manuscript, when God passed this down to all 40 writers over 2,000 years period, and these 66 books were exactly what he wanted communicated. And what you have in your Bible is about a 99.9% reflection of exactly what's in the original manuscript. We don't have the first copy of Isaiah. We don't have the first copy of the Gospel of Luke. But you know what we do have? We have immeasurably, there is actually no comparison immeasurably more textual support for what the Bible says as being the, the original than any document in history. In fact, there's nothing in second place. We have 10,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that scholars are able to look at and find that they have 99.9% .9 agreement on. The Old Testament, we have, we have prophecies that liberal scholars swore up until 1947 and even before. There is no way these could have been written before the time of Christ because they were too exact about Christ. They talked about things that people didn't know about at the time. There's no way these things could have been until the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they... They couldn't argue with the fact that these scrolls said the exact same things the other texts had said, and they were buried over 100 years before the life of Christ. We have an amazing, amazing amount of support for the accuracy and thoroughness of the Word of God. Uh, we have uh, some tools you'll find if you want to look into that more in our library and in our family center. We'll want to provide that throughout this fall so that your confidence in the Word of God can grow. Now, sometimes God, sometimes God dictated. There were times when God said, write these things down, and they wrote down what he said. There were other times when he led people, he inspired, he filled them with his spirit in such a way that, that he led them what to write. Paul, sitting in a prison, writes these letters to churches that the Holy Spirit led him to write exactly what he wrote. God managed to use the different personalities and styles of these authors, but it was all what God wanted to communicate. Why did he want to communicate it? Well, John chapter 20 and verse 20, 21, towards the very end of the gospel, John makes this comment. He's talking about why God, the Holy Spirit, would have inspired him to write what he wrote. He said that many other things did Jesus do than these. And what he's referring to is seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John, around which the Gospel of John is kind of hung. 
And he says, many other things did Jesus do, but these have been recorded that you would believe and that by believing you would have life in his name. Why did God give us the Bible? He wanted you to have life in his name. He wanted me to have life. And that doesn't just mean going to heaven when you die. It means something that he refers to elsewhere as abundant life. He tells us in John 17, or through a prayer actually, that he has John record, a, a prayer that he prays. John 17, 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What is it God wants for you? He wants you to have eternal life. What is that eternal life? Does it include going to heaven when you die? Sure it does. Include forgiveness of sins? Absolutely. But what it is principally at its core, it's the knowledge of God. Why? Because the more you grow in the knowledge of God, the more I grow in the knowledge of God, the scriptures promise, and among other places, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, that the more you grow to know Christ, and the more I grow to know Christ, this is what it promises. You will have multiplied grace and multiplied peace. Meaning, however much grace you've received, you'll get even more. However much peace you've gotten from God, you'll get even more. And it goes on to say, and furthermore, the more you grow to know him, you will find that you have everything you need for life and godliness. And he's not talking about biological life. He's talking about that abundant life thing. That the more you know Christ, the more I tell you, you will experience life that is rich. That's why he gave it to us. Let's see what the Bible says about its own authority. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read the last six verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, we find in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. We're going to read the last six verses of that. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24. I'm going to read from the New American Standard. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And then Matthew writes this, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. See, there it is. It's authoritative. And Jesus isn't just referring to the, the specific words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. He's not just saying, now, take as authoritative what I'm saying right now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's not even saying, take as authoritative just what I've said in the Sermon on the Mount. He's referring to the Word of God as a whole, as an inspired, God-breathed whole. For example, just earlier, just a couple of chapters earlier, uh, he made this comment in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. He said, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
A jot is like the, the dot on an I. What he's saying is everything God has said is not only true, but it's going to be followed through. He didn't misspeak. That's why I can have authority. That's why I can know that it has authority in my life. Because Jesus has promised me, John, not one jot of what I write will, be fa will fail to be accomplished. Count on it. Likewise, later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to Sadducees who deny the resurrection. They're religious Jews, but they don't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus told them, reminded them, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Therefore, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. What he meant was, if God had wanted to, he could have said, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. But what God said was, I am the God of these people, referring to the fact that they're still alive. And the point that he's making is, do you realize, this is what he's saying to the Sadducees, God's word is not only authoritative in a general sense, like kind of philosophically there's some truth in it, it's even accurate to the tense. That's what he's saying. Is the Bible that authoritative for me? Let's look a little bit more at this Matthew 7. Notice what he says. Jesus says the wise man, that is the man who lives skillfully. Wisdom means knowledge applied to life that you might live skillfully. That's why in the Old Testament it refers to people who, who wove fabric, wise, that they were wise in the weaving of fabric or wise in the playing of a flute or wise in the building of buildings. Because they took, they took a knowledge and they applied it skillfully. So wisdom is just skillful living. Skillful living in your relationships. Skillful living in your finances. Skillful living in the way you carry out your job. Skillful living in the way you manage school. That's wisdom. And Jesus says the wise man, the wise person, is the one who not only hears the words of God, but acts on the word of God. That is, they will do or will not do things specifically because God has spoken them or spoken against them. He's saying that wisdom can be traced to the degree to which people will listen to what God says and then put it into practice. That's really, if you think about it, the whole question of this series. Do I listen to what God says and do I put it into practice? Do I accept as authoritative in my life what I read? You know, shortly after I came to know Christ, I'd been raised in a church. I had uh, been very committed as a, as a Catholic. Um, Christ meant something to me. He meant a lot to me. Uh, I, you know, as a kid, I went to Mass six times a week, once on Sunday and once every other day because I went to a Catholic school. My faith, my, my relationship with God, such as it was, was, was important to me. It was important to my family. But shortly after I came to understand the gospel at age 19, I had a dinner with my parents a couple of months later, and I said to them, I think I've only now become a Christian. And that was a surprise. 
They're saying, you've just now become a Christian? I mean, what are we, sliced bread? I said, well, I don't think I understood. I understood that there was a God. I understood that there was a son of God named Jesus. I understood he died for the sins of the world. I understood that he was raised from the dead. I learned all that through the Catholic Church. I didn't understand that the Bible taught that it was by faith in what Christ did that you're saved. That's been life-changing thus far. And so I think they thought that that was probably just one of those things you learn when you're a freshman that, you know, it's just a new idea and it'll wash away. I mean, you guys know what comes after freshman year, right? <laughs> sophomore year. And uh, do you know what sophomore means? Uh, it's two, two Greek words, sophos and moron. So, that's true. That's a true story. That's, I'm not dissing any, any sophomores. I've been one several times in my life. I'm Sophos means bright, like a bright light. That's sophos. And moron, we know what that means. So a bright idiot, literally a sophomore is a bright idiot. It means someone who's learned something but doesn't know what they haven't learned. That's what it means. And my parents kind of nodded at me and smiled like, oh, he's an early sophomore, isn't he? But coming to believe the gospel... I praise God for that. I, I praise God that he offered me eternal life for believing that Christ died in my place, took my punishment, and gave eternal life to all who believe. I praise him for that. But that left me with thousands of choices. Now, I had a good family, still do. I love my family. But if I started adhering to the word of God over the tradition that I had been raised with, it was going to rub some people who mattered a great deal to me. Some of you have been in that place. Not just with Catholic background, a lot of backgrounds. The question is, will the word of God take preeminence and authority or will my mother? You know, that's really what it comes down to for most of us, doesn't it? I loved my mother. She's a good lady and thankfully she did know the Lord. But when I told her I was being baptized as a believer, I explained to her, I'm not rejecting the christening that you and dad did, where you basically tried to set me apart for God's work in my life, but I didn't have any part in that. I, as I understand a baptism, it's my public declaration of what Christ has done for me and the testimony of that. So that's why I'm being baptized. Some of the ways that I lived at the time as a College student, I liked to get drunk. I had colorful vocabulary. I knew lots of colorful stories and enjoyed telling them. The question was, am I going to continue to do that which is familiar? Or am I going to continue to learn what it means to submit to the Word of God? Questions like that are asked by Christians every day. 41-year-old woman who has been hurt, who has been wronged, whose friends tell her she has every right to hold resentment, wrestles with, will I do what my friends have told me I have a right to do and which everybody else tells me would be logical to do, or will I adhere to what God says regarding trusting him, regarding forgiveness, regarding humility? 
It's kind of similar to what James said in James 1, verses 20 through 25, where he said, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the words, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, having not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That's what God says. He's either telling the truth or he's not. That's either authoritative or it's not. Either he blesses people who apply his word or he's a liar, period. Let's not mince words. I believe that every one of us comes to this place. Now, in some ways, we may come to it in one significant way in our life. It's a literal turn where we go, I have chosen to believe in the Scriptures. For me, uh, I became a Christian. It was about three years later before I finally believed the Bible was inerrant, completely authoritative in all matters. Why? Well, because I was struggling with things that I didn't like in the Bible. But the more I studied the Bible, the more I looked at the history of the Bible, the more I saw how the Bible came together and what its, its words said, I came to the point where I just had to fall under its weight and say, I believe it. So for me, in some ways, that was a one-time decision. But folks, literally hundreds of times, I've had to decide, is this true? One time when I was furious at God about something, and I was screaming at him, and Diane was with me. I finally got quiet. She didn't try to stop me. But when things were quiet, she said, I guess you'll have to decide if God is good. That's exactly what I had to do. Decide whether the God of the Bible is who he says he is. Because if he is, then my attitude was entirely out of line. Not my disappointment. Remember what he said? Rains are going to fall. Floods are going to rise. Wind's going to blow. You're going to have disappointments. We hear last week of Keith Racer ministering to fifth and sixth grade kids who receives burns on 30% of his body while he is serving God. That's a wind. That's a flood. That's rain. I know people in this church who've lost their children. I think that's the biggest flood I've run across so far. God is not saying, Christian, that you won't have winds or rain or floods. What he's saying is, will you believe what I have said more than you believe your gut? That's what biblical authority is. Turn to another passage, Mark chapter 7. Look at this for one sec. Mark chapter 7. We're going to look again at how this Bible addresses the issue of authority. Mark chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse 5. 
the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands, meaning not doing the ceremonial washing? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you're experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Do you notice what he's saying? You're under an authority, because we all are. It's just what authority? Are you under the authority of what the popular culture tells you, or are you under the authority of God's word? That's what he's saying. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. And by the way, Jesus is not saying Moses said. What he's saying is God told Moses to write this. So when he said Moses, they know what he's talking about is the authority of God's word. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would have helped you is Corban, that is set apart for God. In other words, I wish I could help you, mom and dad, but I've planned to give this to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many such things as that. In other words, you do things that religiously look good on the outside, but it is not in keeping with what the word of God says. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done a lot worse sins than give money to God. God's not talking about whether giving money to him is sin. He's talking about you've rejected the authority of God's word and instead you've listened to men. Why are we called Fellowship Bible Church? Well, because we believe that the Bible, God's word, says that God wants to have fellowship with men and he wants them to have fellowship with one another. So we decided to put that first. Because... We're not meant to live this life alone. We're meant to be connected to God and to man. And it's difficult, but it's worth it. Bible, why is that in the middle? Well, because that's in the middle of everything we do. We're looking to that as our authority. Church just means called out ones. That is, we're called out from a world that does not submit itself ultimately to God's authority. That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying these scribes and Pharisees are calling people to submit to their rules and regulations, just like you are, in the culture you're in, the culture I'm in. We're called by this culture to submit to it. And we have to decide whether we'll submit to it or to the, or to the, the Bible. I want to look at one last passage. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, why I want to look at this one, these other ones we've looked at, is we're seeing how the word of God is superior to our culture. The word of God is, is sufficient for getting through the issues of life. And, and it's, it's really the way God says, I'll, I'll bless you. I'll allow hardship to come, but I'm going to bless you I'll, if you'll found your life on it. But I want us to see how does this work? What does it look like when a man or a woman decides to put the word of God as their key authority? Look at 1 Samuel 24. I'll I'll begin reading. It says, Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. 
he came to the sheepfolds on the way and where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Kids, by the way, that's a really good trivia thing that if you're ever in a trivia contest and it says, where does it talk about somebody going number two? That's what it's talking about, okay? This is my passage. You guys can get that trivia question. You can be ready, all right? So, you know, God talks about everything. Um, now David and his men were sitting in the inner recess of the cave. The men said, of David said, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as seems good to you. What they did was they took a few of God's word and they added a few of their own. They just slightly massaged it a little bit to basically say, God wants you to kill him. So David arose and cut the edge of Saul's robe secretly, which of course was lying down on the ground while he was relieving himself. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Now, that ought to just throw you. It throws me. My conscience wouldn't be bothered at all. Knowing me, my conscience probably wouldn't have been bothered if I had just stabbed him right through. But he said this to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. Notice, he doesn't say because of Saul. He says because of the Lord. To stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Do you see how he says that twice? The reason he let Saul go in this case was because he was the Lord's anointed. What is that Get at. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cage, went on his way. Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, get this, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Do you do that to somebody who's been trying to kill you? I don't. I shoot him. So while David had every logical reason and he had friends telling him to go ahead and kill him and he had the opportunity to do it, he refrained. And it's not because he's afraid of war or afraid of killing people. He had obviously done that. No, he tells us why. He says, Why do you listen to the words of men saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Third time. Now, my father, see indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. Why? Because of this thing called the Lord's anointing. What is the Lord's anointing? Well, we won't go to 1 Samuel 10, but there we would read, then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, pouring it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? In other words, God spoke through the prophet Samuel. It was God's word that made Saul the king. And David is saying, I will not go against God's word. David loved the authority of God's word even over his own life. Obviously, we know David sinned badly, egregiously at other times in his life, like a lot of us have. But when he's in his right mind, which is what you and I are called to be today, he decided that the authority of God's word was more desirous to him 
than getting what we could call justified revenge. I have a question for you. Is the Bible your ultimate authority? I'm not talking about whether we agree 100% on everything. I don't even agree with myself 100%. What we're talking about is, does God have the authority in your life where when he speaks, that's more important than what your gut tells you or what your parents tell you or what your best friend tells you or, or what the last tweet you read tells you? Are you building your life on sand or a rock? I don't know you. I don't know your specific story, but I know this. From having lived a fairly long time and from the Word of God, you will have rain. You will have floods. You will have wind. Nothing's going to stop that. Not until heaven. But the question is, is your house referring to your inner life? Is it going to collapse and fold up and go the way of all men? Or is it going to be triumph because of the authority of God's word to which you submitted yourself? Second, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, and we know that God always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. That's true for anybody who will allow the word of God to be the authority upon which they build their life, the authority upon which they make their decisions. My hope is, is that for us as a church, certainly for me, I pray that at 65, I'm better at submitting to the authority of God's word than I am at 63. God has used his word to change my life, and I don't regret anything that he has changed. And, and, and while I lived my life to avoid rain and floods and wind, he showed me that good luck you're not going to be able to get away from that because that happens to everybody. But what he's told me is, my word, my word is strong enough for you to endure and even prosper and thrive in spite of the wind and the floods and the rain. I hope that as we look at the word of God over these next few weeks, you'll find yourself more and more and more at peace over that and more and more and more on that same path that that I'm certainly trying to walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word and for its authority. Thank you for the fact that it's actually a place of liberty. Thank you, Lord, that even though you change things in us that sometimes we didn't want changed and you take us through things that many times we didn't want to go through, you, uh, you emerge sufficient, you emerge faithful, you emerge gracious. Father, I just pray that this word, this living word, would be the rock for every one of us and that you would use it, Lord, to make us more and more and more like your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.